Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. Uh, we're gonna, it's the baseball podcast. And uh, Dave Brown is on assignment this week. So we upgraded. Uh, don't tell Dave that. Uh, but uh, sitting in this week is uh, our old friend Mark Gonzalez, who's currently writing for the Sun-Times, the Associated Press, and Baseball America. Did I get all that right? You just told me that 10 seconds ago. Did I, get all, did I repeat all that correctly? Yes, you did. Right. Nailed it. Great. Well, I'm not the best podcaster in the business for nothing. No, I'm not. So, uh, well, welcome to the podcast. I, it's honestly, I felt like um, I felt like I'd have you on before, but I've you've never been on because I never asked because I'm uh, I don't know why I didn't ask. So I'm glad you're on. Thank you. Um, all right. So the Cubs, they're red hot. They just beat the Nats, so they won. They won the series two out of three. They've won four series in a row. You know the wild card is wide open. They're only what eight teams and eighteen games behind or whatever. I'm sure they can catch up. <sighs> uh, so I guess the first thing is, do you think? Do you think they didn't trade Wilson Contreras uh, because they valued the? Um, comp pick if he if they offer him a qualifying offer and he accepts and uh, he rejects it or do you think it got down to the deadline and jed was like uh keep it i just think they had a high opinion of what they could get for him and it didn't crystallize and you saw where uh four or five teams acquired catchers but they weren't the high ceiling guys like wilson i mean you saw vasquez go to houston uh, there are a couple other uh, small deals. Uh, let's not forget our friend Cam Cunningham from the <laughs> Royals to the Padres. <laughs> but those are the type of deals. And and I just think that teams were kind of reluctant for some reason uh, not to pursue uh, Wilson at, at, at a high level. So um, I was mystified that they weren't able to move him. Um, I never liked – holding on to a guy who's going to enter the free age, the free agency 
uh, midseason. Do it, do it in the offseason before he enters that last year because it usually doesn't work out well. I mean, you, you saw what happened uh, with the year, year ago with Baez. Uh, he just didn't respond. Rizzo didn't respond well to that uncertainty of where their future was going to be. Um, it showed on the field. Just just a horrible situation. I thought they would avoid that and would have done something in the offseason, and I still advocate that teams do that. Yeah. And I don't know if – it just it didn't seem like it was their plan. Like, their plan all along was to trade Wilson in season. And I don't know if the lockout had something to do with that, where, you know, the time you might normally be shopping him, business was supposedly uh, – nobody was doing business, although it's hard to believe that the teams weren't. Uh, talking to each other anyway. They had nothing else to do. They might as well have been talking to each other. Right. Yeah, and you're right. And so it ends up screwing Wilson even more now that his his free agent value, goes, monetary value goes down because teams are like, well, we got to pay you, but we're also going to lose a draft pick. Oh, they're precious draft picks. Um, and then I'd always thought that the comp pick w- went in between the first and second round, but it sounds like it could go between the second and third. The Cubs only might get a pick in the 70s for him. It depends where they finish in the uh, overall records. But, yeah, that is a possibility. Maybe that's why they're uh, you know, trying to win all these games now. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah. And then the other guy that I – it obviously wasn't as uh, – wasn't a sure thing. I mean, he thought Wilson was a sure thing. He was going to get traded. I mean, hey, fans were getting standing ovations all the time, trying to, you know, wish him well, and then he, came, and then he was still there. Was Ian Happ and – I mean, I, I feel like there is a guy that I think the Cubs would have a higher value on than teams trying to acquire him. I mean, that, I mean it just seems to me that the Cubs think oh, – I don't know what the Cubs think. Um, I think teams on the outside look and go, yeah, he's a nice player. But that's the value they put on him is, you know, the Cubs, oh, he's an all-star. I say, well, yeah, a lot of guys have been all-stars that you're not giving up a lot for. So I don't know if I'm alone in that assessment. I just I just think that they once again they should make a decision on him by this offseason, either give him an extension or or trade him. I think that'd be in everybody's best interest. And uh certainly they have time. He switched agents, by the way, and I asked him about it uh right after the Freddie Freeman debacle because they are once represented by the same agency and he kind of gave me a smirk and a wink. Hmm. So so um I think that uh, I wouldn't rule out something getting done if the, if the Cubs want to go down that road, because certainly he's made it clear he wants to stay and uh, he feels pretty comfortable here. So um, it, it would behoove the Cubs at least listen to what they have to say and, and map things out. On the other hand, they have a lot of outfielders in their system who are, are on the rise. You know, Brennan Davis is supposed to be their, their center fielder of the future. How does that impact uh, a lot of guys? Who knows? Uh, this guy Canario is hitting a lot of homers. He's got to be on the 40 man. Um, you know, we've seen Nelson Velasquez in left field, uh, Christopher Morrell. We don't know where he's going to play, although the, the uh, metrics have been uh, unkind to him in center field. So you wonder if he's going to be that super utility Zobris type guy. But um, they have a lot of considerations. And I, I think that uh, they have to resolve Ian's status one way or another this offseason. Yeah, it's a good point about Morel. The, the metrics aren't kind to him, and the eye test isn't really kind to him either. The routes he takes to balls. I mean, he's a he's he's a much better player than I thought he was going to be. So he's a valuable player, but I I can't imagine he was that the Cubs could look at him and go, "Yeah, that's the guy that's going to lock down center field for us for any amount of time." Although 
one thing we like to talk about on this podcast is the Cubs have had a an enormous void in center field for 70 years. I mean, there's just a few seasons, and I, I got crap because I didn't throw. This is this is how low the bar is. I mean, we know they got two good seasons out of Dexter Fowler. They got um, Jerome Walton was a rookie of the year. Bob Dernier was good for like a season and a month. Um, Corey Patterson? No. Kenny Lofton for six weeks and the playoffs. And then people were like, what about Rick Monday? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, if we're going back to Rick Monday. That just it just identifies the fact that that has been – it just doesn't seem like that position should be that hard to fill. And they just have never been able to do it. So uh, it's nice that they have uh, multiple candidates, but I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, we see we see a different highlight reel catch. And it's minor league highlight reel catches. So it's like somebody shooting it off an iPhone from uh, 400 yards away. But we see Pete Crow Armstrong, like, every two or three days make some ridiculous catch. Um, and then you have to remind people, he's playing in the Midwest League. That's a long, that's a long ways away. I mean, you can't just, well, he's good now. I mean, Corey Patterson destroyed the Midwest League. And he was 19 when he did it. And you know, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing with all of the, it's nice that the Cubs have prospects and they have prospects that supposed experts think are good. But if you've got 10, you might get a really good player and a half out of that. I mean, this is, it's not like, um, what do we remember the old, what are we going to do with all these shortstops? <laughs> Oh, they got comes got too many shortstops. They got Starlin Castro and Javi Baez and Addison Russell, and the next thing you know, they were looking up, and in the important games down the stretch, Mike Freeman is playing shortstop for him. <laughs> so stuff happens. And Jason Hayward was in center. <laughs> uh, um, that was another the the announcement, the inevitable. It's been inevitable since um, 2017, <laughs> as far as. <laughs> <laughs> when they were going to just have to cut bait on his uh, contract. Um, I'm sure it wasn't, Jed's not like, well, his birthday is tomorrow. I think today I'm going to sit in the dugout and announce that we he's never coming back. But it was funny that we got that announcement, and then the very next day the Cubs Twitter account had to tweet out, happy birthday, <laughs> Jason Hayward. <laughs> Uh, as one of, as uh, one of my friends uh, put it, though, what better birthday present to get? Then the Cubs, they're going to have to pay you the final $30 million on your contract, and you don't have to play for them. <laughs> well, he still wants to play, but where is going to be the question? Yeah. It will be interesting to see if any, somebody's going to give him a shot. I don't know that, uh, at least in the spring, because you only have to pay him the minimum. Right. I mean, it's the veteran minimum, so <laughs> that may scare somebody off. But, I mean... I mean, Mark, how many times – it was every spring, right? We have the new hitting coach because the Cubs fire hitting coaches every spring. Oh, no, no, we've changed the setup. We got his hands doing much better things with his hands now. We've really unlocked it. And then we'd watch the first few events and be like, that looks like the same thing. Yeah, throw, throwing his hands at the ball, that was the line that Joe Madden used quite a bit. And uh, they tried everything. I mean, going back to the days of, you know, John Maley, then it was Chili Davis and – I actually thought that there was some kind of connection there with with Chili and uh, 
Jason, but uh, same couldn't be said for the other guys who had their own uh, hitting style and their own private coaches. And then it just uh, got got stagnant, got worse. Yeah, and which was unfortunate because you know we all we all know what a good guy he is, but it's a game of results, and he wasn't producing. So this is what we come down to. And uh, now there's a lot of kids they want to look at. You know, Suzuki's in their long term plans, and we got to see what happens with Davis once he returns. Uh, to play in Iowa soon, we hope. And then, you know, who knows what happens in the fall league as well. I asked, I asked Jed about the fall league two weeks ago and the candidates, and they hadn't gotten to that point yet. But I think it's going to be pretty important because if uh, their prospects uh, turn out to be as, as good as they say, they're going to have some issues regarding the 40-man roster. So yeah. um, a lot of, lot of decisions to be made between now and uh, November 20th. Yeah, the, the 40-man roster crunch – um, is supposedly the reason why we we aren't getting a sneak peek at Matt Mervis. Because that's a guy they don't have to put on the 40-man this right. winter. And why would you do that? And now you've, you're tying up another spot. So, I mean, I went through the roster and, um, you know, there's, it's not too hard to just lop a dozen guys off this 40-man. I mean... It's not. It's not right. We watch this team every day. It's not exactly chock full of talent, but you do run into an issue where there are guys in the minors who have reached that threshold, and guys, you and I, or not you, think about it, but guys like me are like, oh, that guy had to go on the forty man, and so it does become an issue. Um, yeah, I just hope. I just hope they don't do what they did last September, where if you had a pulse, you got called up and put on the roster and made your one one appearance, and that was it. I mean, it just didn't serve really any purpose other than to give the guy the claim, the distinction that he was in the majors. And I mean, that this is not right. I mean, I think this is a period where you got to look and see if these guys have stay in power, not just give out the, uh, the participation trophies. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's why it was heartening that they sent David Bodie to Iowa. It's like, all right, we got other guys we need to look at. We don't need to look at him. We finally, uh, they made a, uh, they ruined my theory. Because everybody's like, why is Frank still up? And I was sure that they were like, okay, we're going to send Frank down after the Field of Dreams game. I mean, he's had his he's had his poor little heart set on it. And two days before, <laughs> you're like, all right, Frank. Yeah, you're going to Iowa, but you're not going to Dyersville. You're going to Des Moines. Um, but that was also long, long overdue. It was just... And if, I didn't, a... if I didn't know better, I noticed that you know, Frank's had a back problem this year. Um, which I think just comes with the um, playing first base for the Cubs. I think it's just, you know, Anthony handed, it's the one present Anthony gave him on his way out of town. Um, but so when he came back from the DL or the IL, uh, every time he would swing and miss, he would do this thing at home plate like he was trying to stretch his back out. I was like, I think Frank's going, for, I think Frank is smarter than we think, and he's already going for an injury settlement. <laughs> like, oh, it's been bothering me. Oh, man, you wouldn't believe how bad this thing's been bothering me. Where's the workers' yeah. comp forms, Jed? Carter's <laughs> got them. Okay, good. Well, they um, he mentioned it prior to his demotion that he had had back problems dating back to spring training. So you thought in the back of your mind, oh, either this is uh, he's trying to play through this or it's a bigger uh, motive here. But you know, like you said, that it, it was kind of like cold blood week where they uh, told Hayward he wasn't coming back from 2023, and then. Uh, Frank the Tank, uh, see you later. And yet, Rafael Ortega is still uh, occasionally taking at-bats out in center field. 
Um, and I noticed, I also had a theory about that. I thought maybe they were like, okay, fine. He's using the dental plan. Um, let's just leave him around. But he got his braces off. So you can, you can send him away now. You don't, I mean, that was nice of him, but he's probably got another copay. And once he makes it, then he can leave. And, um, somebody's like, well, you know, they don't really have, we went through their center field candidates when he's not there. They don't really have a real one. It's like, have you seen him? He's not a real one either. And the other thing about this, it doesn't matter. Like you're just, you're literally just trying to take a look at guys and mostly get them at bats and you're bad. You're going to lose games anyway. Just don't end the season with, you know what? I wish we'd have gotten this guy more at bats. Well, because nothing stopped you other than yourself. And he's one, he's one dimensional too. He just, you know, hits righties, but that's about it. I, that's one of the great mysteries. You know, he's helped them win a few games, but in the big picture, where does he fit? He doesn't fit. No, no. And he hasn't fit on like six other teams before he got to the Cubs. It's, I'll tell you something. Uh, speaking of a guy who, uh, who didn't fit on another team, but is now the greatest hitter in major league baseball, Fran Mill Reyes. Um, who I, mean, I knew it. I I wish I, I wish you could bet on stuff like this. When they got him, I'm like, somebody's gonna be. They're gonna look at his age and his general body type, and they're gonna be like, oh, the Cubs just found their own big poppy. <laughs> and now there's people that are actually doing it. It's like, oh no. Um, it's it's I, I think it's it's fine. He has actual connections with the coaching staff. Um. And he's had success in the big leagues, although it's a lot of home runs and nothing. Um, the biggest issue with him is that he's only a DH. Um, I mean, I know he played he played 12 games in right field for the Guardians this year. I would like video of that. <laughs> I want to see Franville chasing a fly ball. Um, but, how, so, I guess my question for you is, like, how good do you really have to be to have value to a, I can't call it a rebuild, to a re, to a uh, a reloading team if all you can really do is DH? I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this on all, all fronts just because of the connection they said he had with, with Johnny Washington and uh, a couple other coaches. Um, well, didn't Clint Frazier have a, or excuse me, Jackson Frazier have a connection with uh, Carter Hawkins in Cleveland? I and mean, it seems like he's another guy that's on the, the David Bodie, the, the yeah. Iowa path, along with Rebus. So there's that. So I, I guess uh, in, in regarding Reyes, I think it's just let's see what he can do this next six weeks and then we'll reassess. And he certainly hasn't hurt his chances. But, um, you know, once again, you know, baseball is a game of versatility and, and the more positions you can play, the better. And I'm just not sure if they can afford to have a, a one-dimensional guy. But, you know, there's that, that thing about the change of scenery uh, theory. And, and it might be working. Who knows? It's kind of fascinating, too, that um, he switched agents prior to coming over to the Cubs. He, he said goodbye to Scott Boris and hooked on with another agency. So I'm kind of curious to see how this all plays out the next six weeks. But... uh you know, getting back to your main question, I'm I'm kind of curious because I'm not a uh, big on uh, having one guy lock in as a DH because I just think it harnesses you in other areas. And, you know, Ozzy Guillen used to say the same thing uh, in a in a complimentary manner about Jim Tomey, just how 
he wanted somebody more versatile. And at the times they put Tommy at first base, they'd have to shut him down for a few extra days because the body would just be so stiff. Yep. That was uh, Edgar Martinez in Seattle. Maybe the maybe the best pure DH ever. Well, him or Poppy, probably. And Lou occasionally would try to sneak him into the lineup at third base, and he would inevitably hurt himself. Lou's like, he can't even spend three hours at third base. Or we lose him for a month. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I guess my thought is Framel's going to really have to hit. Like, um, you have to look at him and go, all right, well, that, that's a guy who's going to give us 40 homers if we DH him. And actually in his career, he hits, uh, he hits a home run every 16 at-bats. Which would mean, supposedly, if you played him 160 games, he would hit 40 homers. And he's come close before. Right. Um, but he's also, he, he can't give you 40 homers and a 318 on base and strike out 200 times. I mean, that's just not going to work. It's not, you're just chasing home runs then. And I want a team right. that doesn't hit very many, but it doesn't do you any good if it's just, you know, you've got a one-trick pony DHing. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens this homestand because they have the, the Brewers and then the Cardinals, and let's see how he fares against those teams and, and their pitching staff. That that might be a, a decent measuring stick. I'm not saying it's the end all, but um, let's see what he does in this this homestand. Maybe maybe there's plenty there left in the tank that uh, uh, wasn't there toward the end with the the Guardians. Uh, another guy I want to ask you about is um, is Nico Horner. I probably am going to have to uh, reevaluate my thinking of Nico. I I like Nico. I've always I've always liked Nico. I think he's I think he's a good player. Um, to in my mind, he's he's a he should be playing second base, not because he can't handle shortstop, but because he's really good at second base. Um, but I mean, he's basically played shortstop all year. Has he proven? that he should just stay at shortstop. And then there's a second part of the question, which is, um, you know, it, well, I guess we'll just start with, I won't ask the second part before we answer the, before we talk about the first part. Um, I guess, is he like a, is, should the Cubs just say, all right, we've got our shortstop now? I, I think so. And I say that because I think he's very dependable. Um, the alternative is the move him the second, and then go in the free agent market and get one of those big ticket guys. Well, I can talk to you for an hour on this, but I'll try to make it simple. If you aim for those those big ticket guys once, you're going to have to pay big, big bucks to one guy when you have other holes, a couple we just mentioned earlier. And then two, because your team sucks, you're, the, those players' representatives know that, and you're going to be forced to overpay. So um, that's – that's where I'm coming from right now. But I think Nico has done enough, not only to play shortstop on a full-time basis, but the fact that he's making contact, putting the ball in play, something this team hasn't done the last two years, there, there's a premium on that. So I think leave Nico alone, keep him at short, and then as far as the other holes go, you can earmark your your big money toward addressing those areas. Okay, because what well, you anticipated – the second part of my question, which was, um, if if you think that the the impact free agents on the market this winter are shortstops, then it, the Cubs are going to 
open themselves to criticism. Hold on, we got an intruder. It's <laughs> a cat. That's all right. I'm, sur- I'm surrounded by dogs. I won't let him see the cat. Um, so say the Cubs make a clear-eyed evaluation, just like you did. Like, you know what? Nico's, we've got our shortstop. So we're going to go somewhere else. And then they, uh, with our free agents. And then the Cubs don't make offers to Xander Bogarts or Carlos Correa or the other guys. And uh, smart-ass fans like me are like, oh, good. I see we're just we're not spending any money on big on big players again. And that's it's their own fault that we'll think that way. They've earned that. <laughs> uh, my other thing though is and you're exactly right. I mean, we see it all the time. You pay you pay the Cubs don't want to pay the uh collective or the um a competitive, competitive balance tax. tax. Yeah, they don't want to pay that but when you're bad like they are, you pay a different kind of tax. You end up because players are like, well, I'll go there, but I'm not going there. I'll take less to go play for the Dodgers, which is not a lot less because the Dodgers will pay. You're going to have to pay me more than that because I, I can either go win right away or I could try to buy into your plan that we're going to turn this thing around. I'll come there, but you've got to pay me extra. So in a weird way, they hide from one tax and they open themselves up to – another and that's exactly where they are right now there's a lot of players that are like oh yeah i mean playing for the cubs would be fun it's, i like going to wrigley uh i don't i'm not ex- really excited about losing 97 games but i can be swayed you know cha-ching so they are going to find themselves in um in trouble like that and you know when they when they finally broke the bank on the first rebuild and they convinced John Lester to come. They had to pay him a lot of money. But they're, they were a lot better than they are right now. Like, he could, you, you could convince him because people had actually started to see it. Like, right. there was young talent that was coming up and was actually playing. And then, right. Um, but right now, what are you selling? Right. Because there was some trust. There was some firm trust in Theo and yes. Jed dating back to the days of Boston. But, to Theo and Jed's credit, they had a great blueprint that just showed it to John where the organization was at and where it was going to be in two years. You know, from from the stadium, the renovations to just the on-field talent who was coming up, the Bryants, the Baezes, those guys. You know, I think Schwarber had just signed recently, but had shown a lot of power. So you had a very, very firm, clear-cut blueprint. Now – we don't know really who's your, you know, you can say Keegan Thompson and, and Justin still have promise in the rotation. You can say, yeah, Nico is a number one pick who has, has really been dependable at, at, at a shortstop. But other than that, you don't know what's going to happen with Wilson. And, and there are a lot of questions out there. And that's what uh, free agents don't want questions. They want certainty along with a big, big money. Yep. That's right. They want, they want to win and they want to get paid and they would like both. But you can convince some that if they don't think they're going to win, a little more money will make it pay. And then it doesn't. Because they get on the team, the team sucks. And the first thing they do is like, all right, uh, you're going to need to get, you're going to need to move me. <laughs> right. Like, Although okay, they might, they I might. I got my cash. You could trade me now. Yeah. Although they might see an area where they think, hey, we'll beat the market now because next year that area might be shallow, not as deep. You know, I think shortstop's obvious this year. But I just think there are, there's so many other areas they need to address if they want to get to that next step that they might have to address those more than the shortstop right now. So, but you don't think say, uh, 
I don't even I don't even know who. The, let's say whoever the best outfielder on the market is is going to look at the Cubs and go, "Ooh, I've always wanted to play with Nick Madrigal and Zach McKinstry." <laughs> you don't think that's that's selling it when they see that? I don't think so. Yeah. Or how about uh, we've got Jan Gomes and PJ Higgins? Are you can throw two. Jan can still actually squat most of the time. I'm not buying. <laughs> I'm not buying. But at least, but you know, you they've got the electric personality of Carter Hawkins to go out and talk to these guys. I mean, that man, he he really commands a room. So <laughs> I'm sure it'll all be fine. Yes. Commands a marquee studio. <laughs> oh, that was the I don't know why I subjected myself to that. I've I what broke down that entire interview that he did with Cole Wright before the trade deadline and made fun of it, which was fun to make fun of. But I'm like, oh my god, this, I didn't know they talked for 28 minutes. <laughs> I started to do it and thought, how long did they talk? Six minutes? Oh, 28? Oh, that'll be great. In 28 minutes, before the trade deadline, right after the draft and before the trade deadline, they filled that time. They talked about two draft picks and two guys who were potential, who might be traded. 28 minutes on that. It was great. It was riveting stuff. So, uh, Nick Madrigal, back from the minors. It's all healed up. He's back to being a line drive machine. I'm very excited about uh, this uh, guy. My question for you is, were there any teams other than the Cubs and White Sox who looked at him and were like, oh, that guy's really good? Because I was like, well, they could trade him. Like, I think he's already played on the two teams that were convinced he was good. And there's nobody else, unless you trade him back to the White Sox, and they figured it out and traded him to the Cubs. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I think the White Sox were more alarmed that he wasn't a, a sharp base runner and, and and also the double play factor as well. But um, I think we see now that he's he is doing what everybody projected he would do. It would be a line drive hitter, get on base. And it's kind of funny because – He's hitting now, and you don't hear the comments about, well, teams are shifting and taking things away. He's, he's hitting so well that um, he's beating defenses, so I give him that. Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't really be – the style of hitter he is, you really shouldn't be able to shift him because he should just be you know spraying the ball all over the field. My, my issue with him when they traded for him was at the time they made the trade, they had the most valuable asset at the trade deadline last year. You know, Kimber was pitching. Nobody knew he was going to fall off the cliff like he did, but he was a closer. And those we know, and we the Cubs fans saw firsthand how handy an elite closer comes in when you get to the playoffs. Uh, they were going to put him at the back of a bullpen that already had another one. But when they were when they were shot, I guess when they were shopping him, it was like, all right, they're going to make these trades. The one guy we know they're going to get a really good player for is Kimbrel, and we get a five foot six inch. Singles hitter, who's not fast, is not an elite defensive player. In fact, one of the things that drives me nuts, they will shift, and they will put him on, in a shift, he'll end up on the third base side a second. And he can't make the throw. Like, they'll put him in the right spot, and he bounces the throw, and the guy's safe anyway. And it's like, all right, guys. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, how about you put him where you put Nico in the shift, and have Nico play where the throw needs to be made. It's like, you know, do you, eva- do you ever evaluate your own players? So my biggest problem with Madrigal is I'm glad he's hitting, but this is the best version of him 
I don't think is all that good. Yeah, I mean, getting back to what you said with the defense, I mean, he, he played shortstop, so you'd think he'd be able to make the long throw. I know there were some uh, questions about Nico as well, but he's he seems to have uh, done a really good job in making that long throw with some zip on it. And um, I just don't know what to think of uh, Nick from a defensive standpoint. I mean, he's still got time to show what, what he can do, and um, he's getting ample chances out there, so... We'll have to see, but, you know, going back to his White Sox days, they were alarmed at his um, his lack of base running acumen, although we've seen it all over baseball, especially in this town on both sides. So um, he's not alone. He's really very – he's very Ryan Terrio-esque. <laughs> not as dumb, but a few people are. Um, but the all, the limitations are all the same. Basically, Terrio, I played play shortstop in college. Yeah, well, you can't play it. And we'd watch it. Every time the balls hit you, we're all like, you know, it's either going to up in the dugout or it's going to roll to first. We don't know which. And when you get on base, you have to constantly be reminded that it's it's all it's all left turns. Ryan, just keep <laughs> keep turning left. He got a little bit of a break because he played with Ronnie Cedeno for a little while. And everybody looks brilliant compared to Ronnie Cedeno. So you got that going for him, uh, which was nice. Um, so a big announcement today that they made, this is what we're down to, uh, Marquis made an announcement that over the, that this weekend, Joe Girardi is going to join the Marquis sports network and he's going to be on the call or the Brewer series, uh, with Boog and JD. So what do we think of, uh, of Joe Girardi coming over I'm, to Marquis? I'm, I'm curious to see what he has to say. You know, as, as a manager, he was very direct, um, some people thought he was too too old school, but I think that as a uh, former catcher, former Cub, former uh, Major League manager and, and and player, I think he's he'll have a great chance to lend insight on what's going on and and hopefully uh, give candid assessments of this team. Uh, that's what I, that's what I'm looking forward to hearing. Candid assessments on Marquee is that is that allowed? Um, well, well. Sometimes you think Sutcliffe's going to go down the field and whack somebody yeah. after an error or yeah. miss cutoff man or or a, a, a pitcher getting squeezed on a third strike. Rick is funny because he vacillates so wildly between being way too optimistic about a player, like the other night when he made. Um, he was talking about how I really got fooled by this Albert Elmora. He looked like a great prospect to me. I thought they had. I thought he had going to be like Trout. Steve or Mike? <laughs> um, and he'll just well, go I, on and on about it. This guy's great. And then something minor will happen. And he will absolutely just lose his mind. Which is, That's the most entertaining part. Is like, you know, if you can't figure out how to do that, you have no business being on a major league baseball field. You're like, well, Rick, you're right. Pick a lane. Because like, you're hard to follow when you're, everything's great and everything sucks all at the same time. Well, he, he was the one that got on Frank's defense right away because – I remember in spring training, the last Friday game, uh, first play of the game, there was a ball hit, hit to one of the infielders, and Frank uh, could barely get off the bag, and it, it resulted in a, in a big rally. And and right away, Rick was harping on, without mentioning Frank's name, how it, it always puts the pitcher in a bad situation when a defender can't make a play. It just extends the inning. The pitch counts high, sets a bad tempo, and he pounced on Frank without mentioning his name. And 
give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I, Although that was, it was Frank. The, the, I mean, Frank's <laughs> he was so bad at first base. It was amazing. Like, <laughs> is this? He's a converted catcher. Was he a catcher yesterday? It's like, how many years has he been playing first base? It didn't sort of didn't look like he's he had. I I would love to have seen him as a catcher because he had no. the worst hands at first base. It's like, what was it like with him squatting? I can't imagine. <laughs> just everything. It's just, he, we just it's the old like they asked Bob Uecker how do you catch a knuckleball? He's like, well, wait till it stops rolling and pick it up. <laughs> I feel like that was Frank on pretty much every pitch. It was painful. Now, I wonder if Girardi, you think he'll bring the big binder? I think that'll be like on the desk in the thing. You know, when he managed, he had this that huge binder that he was constantly referring to with his tabs and all kinds of stuff. That well, binder basically does, just to remind us he went to Northwestern. I think that was the whole purpose of the binder. Yeah. Well, if, if he does, at least we know he's doing his homework and uh, maybe he can get some of those uh, Philly scouting reports and share them uh, yeah. with the audience just on with how the Phillies prepared for the Cubs. He, um, he was a studio analyst after the after he got let go by the Yankees on MLB Network. And he was good. Uh, I don't know that I ever saw him actually do any game stuff. So, I, I mean, we have, there's so much bad on Marquis, so much, that he won't, you know, even if he's not great, he'll be one of their better people. <laughs> the bar's pretty. The bar's pretty low over there right now, so that'll be good. But he's. I, mean, I was fine. Um, I'm glad they got him. But there's another Joe that I want to see them bring in, which was never going to happen. But to me, the most Cub thing ever was that we wait. They waited to launch this network forever. They talked about it, it was going to be the greatest thing ever, and all this stuff. And the first year they have it is they no longer have Joe Madden. The guy who was like born to be to he to do nothing less than just kill time on your network. I mean, just they show the two press conferences every day. That fills an hour of your programming with him just, you know, entertaining himself mostly, but you guys sometimes with stories about Hazelton and playing quarterback. At he went to Lehigh, right? Or, or Lafayette? Yes, Lehigh. he went to Lafayette. Lafayette, okay. And all that stuff. And they finally get a new network. And it's like, okay, well, Joe's gone. <laughs> we got a lot of programming to fill. But I would love to see Joe come in and hang out in the studio and do games. I don't think uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they left. Yeah. On, I don't think they parted on the greatest of terms. It, he would be refreshing. I would say that. I mean, just on his, not only his knowledge of baseball, but minor league baseball, teaching the game and uh, pink flamingos, running restaurants, uh, uh, 70s and late 60s automobiles. I, I enjoyed my conversations with him on all those topics. He's a fascinating guy. And I think he would uh, engage the audience, keeping them interested while going off on different subjects. I think he would, he'd really uh, have an engaging presence. Their, um, you know, their game coverage is, is fine for the most part. Um, you know, they the first year they did it, they still had Len and JD, who everybody really liked, and Boog is Boog's good. They, re- they did about as good job replacing Len as they could. They can't help themselves. They mess with the broadcast way too much. We get a lot. Of, we get a lot of Taylor, more than anybody's ever asked for. We get a lot of Taylor, which is fine. But it's the it's the other stuff 
that I'm just I'm constantly amazed at how bad it is. The pre and post game that are just like completely must must miss. If there's no good reason to watch the pre or the post game show on that. Network. You don't like you don't like the lounging with the vine segment. <laughs> that thing, it's the, you should never should not ask a man of that age to just to have to prop himself up on a couch. Well, not... Careful, careful. Come on, that's, that's age discrimination. We've got enough of that. I, I feel, when I see him, I feel bad for him. You know, it's like he's on this enormous couch. It's like he can't sit at the desk where he could, like, lean forward, hold, prop himself up. It'd be fine. Hey, he makes an effort. He gets out there every day. So uh, he, he does his homework. But I will say that, that I think the pregame show is a little too long. Like, about a half, it should be like a half hour. Yeah. You know, well, Lead off man it. was lead off man was twenty minutes. Maybe yeah, go back to there. That. You go. Yeah. There you go. And we and we also missed Kelly Crow. Did just such a terrific mm-hmm. job. Uh, pre and pre game shows and in game stories. Her timing and her homework were uncanny. Yeah, I mean we. I think it's I think it's great. It's nice that Taylor reads the Athletic, and then two days after they publish uh, an article, you get to hear her uh, summarize it. It happens all the time, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, I will start, must stick mostly to the Cubs, but uh, on this on this very podcast, two months ago, David Brown declared the White Sox season over and that they wouldn't make the playoffs. And I gave him a chance right after the All-Star break to take it back. And he basically said that the Twins were making him nervous. <laughs> But he wasn't going to take it back. <laughs> uh, you obviously you see them up close, personal. Um, are they finally? Do we think they're finally getting over the two steps forward, three steps back? Are they finally going to take control of the division and at least win it and and spend their inevitable one round in the playoffs? I, I I'm not sure they're going to win it, but I think you'll see them have more sustained winning streaks. I think right now they're in the midst of one. I could see one starting, you know, even even next week when they go to Baltimore. I think they finally figured out if you play smart, you have a chance to win games. You stay close, you have a chance to get a big hit. And I think they've always had decent starting pitching. It's just a matter of when uh, they get the key hit, which they have the last few days. And also, I think the biggest thing is just playing sound defense. And, you know, they gave – Gave up a couple runs, you know, with Vaughn making the air right field, but that's more poor roster construction. I mean, because you know, I know a lot, a lot of people are really down on Larusa's managing, and rightfully so in a lot of ways. But he's face, he's he's stuck sticking, uh, you know, a corner infielder out in right field, and and he's got a DH in left field, yeah. and you know, his, his hands are tied in that that regard. So a lot of times he's got to save that more equipped defender for later innings because he needs the offense for the first, you know, six, seven innings. Uh, it's funny that you, you mentioned without mentioning Eloy, because I think for most Cub fans, our like introduction to him was in the futures game. I think it was in San Diego. And I think he had a homer, but he also made like a ridiculous catch in right field. He like jumped up and reached into the stands right. and pulled a ball in. Mm-hmm. And the rumor, the reports of him, he's not, he's not a great defensive value. probably can't stick it right. Well, that was under that was an understatement. The ball he missed the other night—that's, I mean, 
that's high school kids catch that ball. And I don't know what he did. He went back and I think he he looked for the wall and then never found the ball again. Like it was amazing. You'd never see it ended up being a triple for somebody slow. I don't remember who it was. But he, it was just a matter of a ball that hits on the warning track and you're within like four feet of it, but still you're within four feet, but don't come anywhere close to catching the ball. It was I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, it was uh, either the ball was upside down or he forgot to call for a fair catch. One of those two things. <laughs> it was, that was really something. But what we're getting back to Eloy in, in, in that trade. What what was a bigger indictment? The fact that what Cease turned out to be, or the fact that the Cubs failed to have have Quintana continue to develop into that dependable pitcher that he was with the White Sox. Yeah, I think it was a case of. I think it was almost a case of the Cubs looking at their own pitching prospects, going, you know, none of these guys ever turn out. What's the risk? <laughs> well, the risk is that the maybe guys, maybe it's you, not them. Um, and then with Quintana, I think it was probably more of the same, right? Like they're the vaunted pitching infrastructure. Uh, other than, I mean, he pitched, actually, he pitched pretty well in 2017. It was almost like the the more he was a Cub, the worse he got. Like, the more that he was relying on them to, you know, remind him how to stick to his mechanics and what his pitch sequencing and stuff should be, the worse he got. Mm-hmm. And that should be an indictment on yes. them as much as yes. anything else. Absolutely. You know, it's, not, he, it's not like he came over the Cubs and he just couldn't handle the pressures of a pennant race. I mean, he was amazing in his first start against the Orioles. Mm-hmm. Um, he kept beating the Brewers. That was like his whole, that the, yeah. the biggest value ad in 2017 was every time the Cubs would get in a little bit of a losing streak, they'd face Milwaukee and Jose would shove it right up the Brewers. butt. yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it, you, it, it's hard to imagine that they didn't do Dylan Cease an enormous favor by trading him. I mean, it took him a while to get good, but would he have ever gotten this good with the Cubs? Well, I'm sure now he would have, but the you know now that they got the pitching all pitch lab is all figured out now. We got it all. We got we got magic cameras for everything. It's well the thing about that 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 chased me. I understand it, and, and it and it's good they had that. But you know what? Don't brag about a guy throwing 97 miles an hour on ball four. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> brag about a guy's 3,000. A spin rate on a on a, on a fifty four mount a fifty four foot curve. No, throw strikes. I so, mean, I just think I just think that analytics are are perfect as as a servant, but as a master, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah, and well, I'm not the first person who has said that. No, and it gets into the whole thing about it. the fact that they have all this stuff is great. It really is. It's it would be stupid not to have it, mm-hmm. but. They, for a long time, one of the things the Cubs are really good at is bragging about how wonderful all this stuff is and how it's all working when the actual results don't indicate the same level <laughs> of success that they're right. touting to everybody else. And I, this was funny. Let's get back to Fran Miller for a second. When they picked him up, there was talks like, well, you know, uh, he's a um, it's a guy who struggled on, he struggled on high fastballs with the guardians, whatever. And the Cubs have had a lot of success with guys with this profile of fixing them. And I was like, who, who was the, who you got to, you have to actually give me an example. 
Because if your example is Patrick Wisdom, Patrick Wisdom is the same guy now that he was the day he walked in their clubhouse or wherever in Iowa or wherever he was. He's The only difference is he got a prolonged... He gets lots of at-bats because he's not a bad team. He still misses the same pitches that, you know, and so, I think it was Sut was like pointing out, oh, he's uh, he's lowered his strikeouts, strikeout percentage by seven points. Yeah, it was almost 50 last year. That was, oh, even right. for him, that was unsustainably high. It was bound to get better. That doesn't mean somebody gets to take credit for it other than math. I guess that's, you know, whoever invented math, that's the guy who gets to take credit for Patrick Wisdom. <laughs> But that's the thing that just wears me out is this whole like, you know, everything's great. Look at all this. Look at all the cool stuff we've got. I say, all right, well, your team is, gets progressively worse. So this stuff might be awesome. And now the thing is they got the big thing we're reading about is the, the fancy new pitching machine they have that can that can simulate all these pitches. Do you think, because I thought of this when you talked about the 54-foot curveball, is there a Will Omen setting on it? <laughs> Jeez, come on. <laughs> I just broke out in a rash you mentioned that name. Come on. You know, so, getting, back to that, getting back to that that pitching machine simulator, not not the knock Pat story, but uh, the Mariners have a, a similar uh, operation behind their dugout where you can step in a box and, and there's there's Cole Hamels uh, pitching against you and in and, and, and his windup. Because I, I stood right in the batter's box going from the – Mariners uh, clubhouse to the field and they had it all set up where Cubs were fi- Cubs were starting Cole Hamels that day and so I think okay I'm just going to pretend what it's like the the face Cole Hamels I didn't strike out but I didn't make contact if that makes any sense <laughs> no I uh his story was fine it's just the it's what people do with the information <laughs> and the oh look at this this is going to revolutionize you know, this, the Cubs, they might not make it out next year. Think about how long the games are going to be. It's like, you know, it's guys, it's, it's a new, they have a new toy to play with. I'm sure it will, I'm sure it will help how much it helps. That's, that's kind of the issue. Right. You know, we, we live in a very weird time right now with Cub fans where we're somehow back to farm system's going to save us and technology's going to save us. It's like, okay, we just, we literally just lived through the best run of Cubs baseball of our lifetimes and it all went bad so fast that six years after the world series we're back to this crap again and i just i just i can't i can't buy it i just i just can't it just it drives me insane and even jed jed admitted it you know the last session he had with us about um the doesn't have the high ceiling talent that we saw eight, nine years ago with the Baez's, the Bryant's, Schwarber's and company. Now, now who knows? You know, Kate Horton might continue his progression and develop into that frontline starters, striking out 10 a game. It could happen. But right now, I mean, he, he's they, they, they are riding the wave with him. And because, you know, prior to this season, um, he had struggled, had some arm problems. You know, if it all crystallizes, you know, tip my cap to them. But they just don't have that experienced guy who's been the dude for a long time. You know, even, you know, Peter Crow Armstrong was a first round pick. Brendan Davis, you know, was on the fast track before he got hurt, but there's not that high ceiling depth yet. Now maybe it'll come through development, but I haven't seen it yet in waves and I'm going to uh, reserve uh, hype until I see it. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest issue they're going to be faced with is, um, Stars win playoff games. 
and you got to have some. Mm-hmm. And it can't be just one. You've got to have some. And sure, it could be. I mean, not every star is a high draft pick. You know, I mean, guys, there there could be somebody in that farm system that nobody's thinking of that all of a sudden the guy gets to the big leagues, you know, and it's like, well, he's, this guy's really good. But mm-hmm. um, you, if you're faced with having to buy them all and you've got a front office or you've got an ownership group that is like, well, do we really, why do you need it? Why do you need to buy that guy? How about two of these? We have a, one of the podcasts on here. I'm sure you listen to it all the time is uh, remember this crap. And um, basically Mike Donahue and I go through years in Cub history and try to remember whatever we can. We, we don't research it. We just simply, we literally spin a wheel. It lands on a year and we talk about it for a long time. Sometimes um, like the 2003 one is like a two hour, 40 minute uh, podcast. Cause there was a lot to cover. Um, but just last week we talked about 1993 and the whole ridiculous Larry Himes spin about, well, sure. We let Greg Maddox go, but look what we got. We signed, listen, we signed Jose Guzman. We got Dan Plesak. We got Candy Maldonado and we got Randy Myers. Dave Smith too, right? That was a different disaster. Okay. This was the Randy Myers year. Randy was good. The other guys were all bad. And I kind of feel like we're back to that again. With well, the, well the, you know, do you really need? To, why would you need to pay a guy three hundred million dollars? Can't you just? Can't you get three guys and pay them like sixty million dollars, and that'd be just as good? Yeah, if they if we could stack them on top of each other and they can all play at once, maybe. But no, that's not how this all works, Tom. Well, speaking of prospects, you mentioned Candy Maldonado, and I and I'll never forget this story as long as I live. And he was one of those much hyped Dodger prospects from the late seventies, early eighties. So. It's a September game. The Dodgers already clinched the division title. Maldonado's making his major league debut and gets his first major league hit. And all of a sudden, Al Campanis sprints into the press box and says, this is the first of 3,000. <laughs> and, when, and when I hear about the hype about some of these guys, I, I reckon back to that story. And it's just like, no, let the guy develop. Just because he gets a hit you know, in his first game uh, doesn't mean he's, he's destined for stardom. The, the future of every Cubs prospect is brightest the farther they are away from Wrigley Field. Um, I just came up with a brilliant idea. I think I uh, you maybe you'll know if this is legal or not. Okay, so how about this? When Fran Mel Reyes bats, once he gets to two strikes, they've hidden Nick Madrigal in his shirt. Nick pops out. And he and Nicky two strikes becomes he swings the bat for Fran Mill for the rest of the bat and tries to stay alive. Is that is that legal? I don't, I don't think uh, Fred Flintstone held uh, <laughs> pebbles in his in his shirt when he was had had had, had pebbles run for him. <laughs> they should at least try it. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, so okay, this has been my issue about the. Um, well, we're vastly changing topics right now, but um, with rule changes for next year, it seems inevitable that they're going to do some kind of defensive positioning. There's going to be a rule. Could be basically just that you have to have two guys in, on the infield dirt on each side of second base when a pitch is thrown. One of the leagues is using this um, 
they're actually drawing a V. Have you seen this? So like mm-hmm. from the from the top corner of the second base bag, they draw a V, which then this actually makes sense, except people aren't gonna like it because weird stuff on the field. Um, the closer you are to the bag, the closer you can be to the middle of the infield. But as you back up, you then have to you you know if you want to play deeper and deeper and deeper, then you have to be more into either right or left field. Right. Uh, the question I have about this that nobody ever seems to answer is, what's the penalty if you violate it? You got me, but I have another question for you. Sure. Who's to say an infielder who moves around can't distract the hitter if he intends the shift as well as, you know, try to get the hitter's uh, attention? Well, what year was it? Remember when the uh, when the Tony La Russa Cardinals would the when they, instead of playing the infield in, remember they would start to creep in, like they would slowly start to move towards the plate. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, for Christ's sakes. Uh, enjoy all four guys being out of position when the ball's hit, Tony. This is genius. But Bobby that's Valentine. The, that's kind of the Bo- same thing, right? The whole, yeah. oh, I'll outsmart you. Bobby Valentine did the same thing with the Mets. Mo- mo- you know, move guys in and all that. And that a giant player said, oh, what's going on? You know, more Little League tryouts here? I forget who. Um, somebody, they were talking about Bobby V on a broadcast not too long ago. And one of the announcers had, maybe it might have even been the Mets. It might have been Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez. But I, I, I can't swear to it. One of the guys was like, Bobby is like one of the smartest baseball people you're ever going to meet. But he, can, he can't help himself. And he's never been able to help himself. He's like, you know, he, a good idea has to become this like very showy, great idea. Like everybody has to see how smart I am. And so he would have been far better off to have just been, you know, if he didn't have to show it so much, he'd have been a much, it it would have been a much more tolerable manager. Um, uh, Speaking of, uh, speaking of announcers, did you see what Dennis Eckersley said last night about the pirates? Ooh. He's looking at the roster and called them a hodgepodge of nothing. It's like, yeah. Hey, Eck, come over and watch a Cub game. It's very similar. Uh, well, Eck's getting his shots in before he hangs them that's up. That's right. It's retiring. But honestly, he's never pulled any punches on that. No. Um, one of my favorite things was they were doing a game in Cleveland. And it's inevitably, as they were doing it, they were shooting, you know, they're kind of like, they were talking about, maybe they're talking about Tom Hamilton. So Nesson gets a shot of, like, the Indians' broadcast booth. Guardians. And, oh, the Guardians, sorry. Well, it was the Indians then. I'll give myself mm-hmm. credit for that. But the then Indians, now Guardians' broadcast booth. And in it, it wasn't who they were shooting, but you could see Rick Manning, which I, start, I, I, which I chuckled to myself. Uh-oh. And that goes, hey, he goes, that's my buddy Rick Manning. So, you know, we used to live together. Um, he, uh, he was married to my wife for a while. <laughs> he just brought it up. I was like, a, it was a real, a lot of people were thinking, Oh, cause people <laughs> don't know. Rick ran off with Dennis's wife and Dennis was like, Hey, married, he, he, he married my wife for a while. Maybe I would still be married. I think maybe that was the case. I think Rick might still be married to Dennis's, uh, now ex-wife. It just cracked me up that not only did he acknowledge it, he basically explained it right on the broadcast. So. Uh, he will be missed because he is uh, he is fun on those broadcasts, and that's who he was as a player. I mean, he he had his his own language, but he, 
you certainly listened and got a laugh out of it. Um, he talked on the broadcast one time about um, he's about when he was playing for the Cubs about how um, he lamented that he that he didn't do more with the opportunity he got with the Cubs, but that it was also the worst possible place for him to be at that point of his life. You know, right. a, you are, you are an, al- an active alcoholic playing day games <laughs> at Wrigley Field. It was not good. And he basically said, they let me go, and I went to Oakland, and I saved my career, and I saved my life. So, yeah, he's always been fun to listen to. Um, I thought I had another topic, and I've since forgotten it. I got just I distracted myself with my own story about Dennis Eckersley uh, instead. Um, so I guess f- for the Cubs for the rest of the season, um, I mean the whole idea is, I guess, get a look at as many young players as possible. And see what you've got. Uh, oh, no, I know what I was going to ask you. I'm glad I thought of this. Because I still don't understand this. Why did they sign Marcus Stroman to a two-year contract? Three. Two with an option, though, right? Oh, three at 71. That's what I'm yeah. calling it as. Oh, uh, Why did they? Yeah. Because uh, they wanted an innings eater. A guy who had, had you know, some mileage before uh, to go along with Kyle Hendricks. And also, uh, if if they saw a need to trade them, and if guys were coming up, they could do that. They had that option. But I think the big thing is they needed some some uh, guys that could eat innings, yeah. and he was at the top of their list along with Kyle and Wade Miley was supposed to be part of that that troika. Didn't um, work out. Well, the reason I ask it like that is it was puzzling at the time because the time frame doesn't didn't line up with the reality of when they were going to actually be good again. And so in my mind, it was, well, they clearly are doing this with the idea they're going to trade him either this year or next. And it was never really in play this year because he just wasn't healthy enough. He couldn't right. prove that he was good before the deadline. Right. Um, and it made perfect sense to me why, if you were Marcus Stroman, you signed that contract. He literally had to, like, fly in and hurry up and take his physical before the lockout started. That was just a case of a smart guy before the uncertainty of the lockout started, just getting paid. He ran in and grabbed the bag and was like, all right, whatever happens with the lockout, I'm set for at least the next two years, and then I can opt out if I want or I can stay here if I want. Um, but they, also could have hired, they also could have hired a doctor in Los Angeles and saved him the trouble of flying out, but I think I understand them wanting to have their own doctors examine him. Yeah. Um, I thought that was... It, it puzzled me only in the fact that it was... Um, if he pitches well, he's gone after next year. If he doesn't pitch well, then you get the, then you get him for the third year while he tries to build his value back up. Um, and if he just if he stays healthy next year, then that'll be the last year he's a Cub, whether they trade him or he leaves, because he's when he's healthy he's good. And um, and there was kind of a similar thing was um, one of the things they didn't they didn't take advantage of after the lockout. But it's been a long-standing thing with the Cubs. Was it, it seemed like that was a time to get really aggressive with players that you knew you were gonna that you knew you could flip, and it, the two Carloses come to mind, uh, Correa and Rodon. 
guys who you might have had to have overpaid for a year, like the Twins did and like the Giants did. But you would leave yourself the option then to trade them and get prospects. And if the thing is, well, one of them might cost us a draft pick, well, you're going to be trading them. Right. You know, at some point, and we're going to run into it this year. At some point, you have about as many prospects as you could as you can squirrel away without risking starting to lose some because of the 40 man. It just seemed like um, if it was a good time to get aggressive with the money because you didn't have to give up anything else, which kind of makes you feel like the, the money wasn't there to be mm-hmm. aggressive with. Um, and it only got frustrating when you saw the contract that Correa signed with the twins. It was clearly just a one year, I want, I'll be a free agent next year, and they've promised not to put a qualifying offer on me, and I'll really cash in in a year. And the mm-hmm. Twins left themselves the out. If we're struggling, we trade him. And if we're contending, we've got a really good player. And they kept right. him because they were in first place. Um, so when they when Tom uh, – so he was quoted in a Jesse Rogers story about the – but it was it sounded like he sent a statement – like, Jesse didn't even get to interview him. Like, they wrote out. Because I think Jesse actually, you know, to be transparent about it, in a statement from Tom Ricketts. <laughs> but I liked he said, we're going to uh, we're gonna be aggressive spending again. It's like, okay, again, how far are we going back with the again? Right. I mean. It's like, well, they signed Saya and Stroman. Yeah, and they also had gaping holes in their in their roster and not a lot of money left on the books. That last year, They could have spent a lot more last year than they did. Um, how optimistic are are we that uh, it's more than just well, let's just tell them we're going to spend that money. Well, I, I hope that for for Cub fans' sake, they do spend money, but I hope they spend it in a few areas. It's not tied up in, in one big guy. And we talked about the shortstop position earlier. If they do it, I understand it. But then you're essentially assuming that Nico's going to move to second, and you're admitting that the uh, Madrigal experience was a failure. Yeah. And we still have six weeks to go on that, but um, I just think you could spend the money more wisely addressing other areas. You or, know, or, it, or they go with the Madrigal and Fran Mills shirt, and those are the, those guys are your DH. Maybe that's... that can count as one or two roster spots. I guess it depends on how much a Nick you can see poking out of the shirt, probably. I think, like, no, he's got a quato. It's it's not it's it's fine. Um Yeah, because with Nico I mean, obviously there's a few ways they could go with Nico. So say you sign Xander Bogarts. Say that's the shortstop that you sign. Um and Xander's like, well, I'm a shortstop. I have to play shortstop. You gotta play me there. You could play Nico at third and still have little Nick over there at second base. And then in a year or two, when the inevitable happens, and like, Xander, you're really not a shortstop anymore. Then you switch him. I mean, I think at some point, right, Corey Seager ends up playing third base in Texas. Like, he signed a 10-year contract. He's not playing shortstop in 10 years in Texas. Right. So they're basically paid for the bat. And you hope that the bat plays for the entire length of the contract, and you'll figure out the position as he ages. Um. But you're right. I mean, it's hard to spend $300 million realistically on one of those shortstops and then say, well, they're going to play shortstop for two years and then we'll worry about it later. Yeah, they still need power. 
and it it remains to be seen where they're going to get it. I just think that you got to hope that next year, you know, say uh, with a year under his belt in the States and, and a, a year of health that he's going to, you know, produce those 25 to 30 homers they projected. And, you know, maybe Nico continues to lift the ball a little more, gives you 10 to 15, and then uh, the rest you're going to have to have to search somewhere for. And it's probably going to be the free agent market, but I still think they're going to need – uh, a, a frontline starter because we've, we've forgotten. We haven't mentioned Kyle Hendricks next year. That's yeah. probably his last year. So um, we're going to go, he's going to go into that year of uncertainty as well as is he in half unless they decide to make a move. Yeah. And they even say, even, even if they had decided, well, we don't want to go into Kyle's last year. You can't trade him now. Right. I mean, unless he gets on the mound, which it doesn't seem like he's going to. He's not going to pitch again this year, it doesn't sound like. Right. Yeah. I, if I would he does, risk... it'd be a couple of starts in the, the year. He's not going to prove to anybody that he's healthy. So that's, right. yeah. Any chance right. they had of trading him in the offseason is gone. Yeah. So that's not great. Yeah. That's why I still think, you know, down the road, you're going to need a, a frontline guy uh, for the next two, three years, just to, you know, eat, continue to eat up innings and also uh, kind of be the, the frontline guy that t- guys like Thompson and Steele and, you know, if, if Killian uh, just uh, blossoms, you know, he had a rough outing today, uh, you know, six runs in three innings and, and also uh, Wisniewski. If these guys are, are uh, on the scene next year, they could benefit from a, a guy who's, experience and you know is able to throw 180 to 200 innings a season for many years and and learn from that person yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do with um with smiley i think they have i think they have an option on him right i think so his option maybe uh, but i know there's some there's some thought that's like well this is working when he's healthy he's good maybe we'll just maybe he's the guy you can keep because you get for lack of any lack of a better but like of anything else, you need somebody to give you some innings. Right. And then if you're Wade Miley, what's your market coming off this year? You know, so it could be I that don't... they pick one or two one or the other of those guys to stick around, or maybe they end up with both. I don't know. Um, one thing we know is that you never if you think you have too much pitching, you don't. Right. So Right. And there's also Albert Azalei. The forgotten man. You know, but he's he's a guy that's always been hurt. We see flashes of yep. of brilliance and promise, and it's it regresses because of injuries. So, yeah. I just wonder where their their uh, patience threshold is, especially with uh, all these guys coming on the scene like Killian and and was uh, was Nesky. So Wesneski, and there, yeah. yeah, and there'll be others uh, coming down the chute soon. They hope. Yeah, I did the same thing the day they. We did a trade deadline podcast, and I pronounced Wesneski about eleven different ways. I think yeah. I thought, I hope he hope he sticks around long enough that I have to learn how to pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, uh, yeah another guy then that is, are we ever is are we going to look back? And the only time we ever saw Braylon Marquez was in that was against the White Sox, where he's throwing um, you know, hundred and two miles an hour or whatever, and then he was gone. I hate to say this, but we're probably looking at the next Angel Guzman unless something turns around quickly because he's just missed so much time due to COVID and other injuries that, you know, time's 
starting to run out for him, especially because he's this is the second year on the 40 man, I think. So that, that clock is ticking and, yeah. and uh, he's just missed so much valuable time. I think that at this point, if, and when he does come back, we're probably looking at him as a reliever. Yeah. Because yeah I can't imagine that they can, um, they could even, even if they thought that he could become a starter, you can invest <clears> the amount of time in it. Now you basically have to get something out of him, And that's, yeah. Um, it's it's really unfortunate because this guy's arm was was powerful and it was the real deal from a velocity standpoint. And when he was down at that, uh, I, I don't want to say the mini camp or whatever they called it, uh, the alternate he was site. Alternate site. He was turning heads, and yeah. uh, you thought, "Wow, this guy could be finally the dude." Well, that was and, why they activated him, right? Or at the end right. of the season to get a look at him and right. think about maybe we maybe we're just going to throw him in the bullpen for the for that long playoff run we're about to start, which lasted two right. days and they scored one run. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and that was on an Ian Happ homer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I looked in those. He they got, I think they got eight hits in those two games, and he had four of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right, he's the only guy who showed up. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, well, that's another podcast where we some we can talk about all the playoff debacles after the World Series. You know, they they won one series, and then it's just a lot of back to a lot of indignity after that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I hope hope you enjoyed yourself, and you'll come back on sometime. Absolutely, I enjoyed it. All right. So uh, you guys can read, uh, you probably already know, but you can read Mark's stuff in the Sun-Times, um, wherever, any outlet that's picking up Associated Press uh, stuff, and Baseball America. All right, well, thanks, Mark. Thank you. I had a good time. Many of us have herpes. I just want this to be over. 